Take our Bibles and be turning to the book of Colossians. If you would, in just a moment, we'll read from the third chapter of Colossians. Again, good to have guests with us today. Thank you for choosing to come out and worship with us on this last Sunday of 2021. I can vividly remember as we came to the conclusion of 2020 how we thought, man, it's so good to have 2020 behind us. 2021 is going to be so much more like normal. (laughs) That didn't happen, did it? So we're going to look at the scripture and get some guidance really for thinking about the new year. While you're finding that Colossians chapter 3 I read uh, where someone was writing about their attitude toward the new year and they said they looked at the mirror and when they looked in the mirror they didn't like what they saw so they made a New Year's resolution for 2022 to take down all the mirrors. Doesn't really fix the problem, does it? But we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that really talks about areas of our life that God really wants us to enjoy His blessing in and some practical guidance on how how to experience that. If you're able to stand, please stand with us for the reading of the Word of God, beginning in verse 12. We're going to read Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12, where the Word of God says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which you are also called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with I service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Let's pray together, all right? Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you'd bless today as we just give our attention to the divinely inspired Word of God, the very words that you have for us. 
that we might have understanding, that the Spirit of God might work in our hearts, that we might be able to see not only where we are and how we are, but where you'd have us to be, and that, Lord, we would determine by the grace of God for whatever days we have left to live for your honor and glory. We trust you for these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. You know, I'm going to just begin in way of introduction just saying that there is, there is no life like this life, the Christian life. Uh, we're saved, according to the Bible, by grace. That means it's a gift. We're saved by grace through faith. It's not of any good deed we do. It's not about our church membership or our baptism or good deeds. We're saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's, the, it's not the work we do. It's the work that God does in us. That's Bible salvation. But the rest of our lives, once we are saved, the rest of our lives are to be spent growing in grace. And as Paul wrote uh, to Titus, working out this salvation that God put within us, living out the great grace of God that has been deposited in our life once we're saved. And this passage that we have before us today sort of illustrates how, how wide the spectrum is of what God wants to do in and through our lives and answers a, a very important question. And this is the question that we'll ponder first of all this morning is this, how much of our life does God want to be involved in? How much of our life does God want to impact? And a person might look at making changes in their life and think, you know, I want to be in church more often or, or I want to read my Bible more often. And those are, good, those are good goals and worthy goals, but I want to suggest to you today God has so much more than that for us. I want to, I want to point you to a couple of passages in the beginning. One in verse 17 where Paul writes... And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do. Now, could this really mean what it says? Could, this, could God really intend that whatever I do in word or deed, that any words that, I, that come out of my mouth, Word or deed, any actions that I take, whatever we do, he says, do all, everything, all your words, all your actions, do all in the name of the Lord. And then look in verse 23. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Whatever you do, do it as to the Lord. So, the... the Message today really is going to center around, center around this and that very phrase we find tw twice in the scripture, whatsoever you do. So the question again, how much of our lives does God want to impact? How much of my life does God want to be involved in? How, many, how much of the conversations that I have, the actions that I take, the decisions that I make should reflect our faith and our relationship to Christ? And the answer is every part of our life. That's God's goal, that every part of our life would be impacted by our faith. Now, most of us, I think if we're thinking this morning, most of us would say that is a tall order 
for every decision I make, everything I do, every word I say, that somehow it would be filtered through this question of what would God want in this situation? One of the things I think that the Bible speaks clearly about, and I'll generalize it in this way, is that we're saved. Once we're saved, we're saved by God's grace. We become new creatures. God spiritually comes to live within us and puts us in Christ. That's who we are, and nothing will change about that. But the desire of God, and this is really my my thrust this morning, the desire of God is that he would have an increasing influence in our life, not a diminishing influence. Some of us could look back on our life, and maybe we could say this about ourselves. maybe we could say about somebody we know, you know, when I know when they got saved, it just seemed like everything in their life changed, but sort, after a while it sort of seemed like they kind of settled into a life where everything was sort of routine or mundane, but the answer, really the reality is God wants to keep us growing all the time. Have your Bible open here in Colossians 3, but we'll come right back to this. But turn to the left to the book of Philippians, just a couple of pages, but to Philippians chapter 1. I want to just point out a few verses that support this thought that God wants to have a growing influence in our life. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 9, Paul writes to this church, Philippians 1, 9, And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Paul says, I I pray that your... These people loved God and they loved Paul and Paul loved them. But he says, my prayer is... We heard something about this this morning in Sunday school, how we... Our prayers ought to be similar to the prayers that we find in the Bible. And the prayer that Paul prayed was that your love may abound yet more and more, that wherever it is, it would grow, it would increase more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. And verse 10 says that you may, pr- you may approve things that are excellent, that you may make choices based on what is God's best. That's God's will for our life. Uh, let's go to another passage. Now go to the right, just past Colossians and 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And again, we find this same sentiment in verse 1. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1. Paul writes, Furthermore then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God. You've received this from us. You know how you ought to walk. And please God, so you would abound more and more. You would continue to grow. We've told you how you ought to walk and please God, but he says that should be continuing to increase. Look in verse 10 of that same chapter. And indeed, talking about the way they loved each other, 1 Thessalonians 4.10, And indeed you do it toward all the brethren which in all Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Paul says you love all the brethren, not just in your family, not just in your church family, but throughout Macedonia, the believers around Macedonia. And he says, we're beseeching you, brethren, that you would increase more and more. So no matter where we are spiritually, God has more for us. 
No matter how much we love, God wants us to love more. No matter how much we, we try to do his will, we want to do it more. That's God's plan. I think we have to recognize today that there's a part of our human nature that likes to just kind of settle in to where we are and be comfortable where we are. But we ought to always be encouraging ourselves and always be pushing in a direction where God is helping us to always grow. So the point is, very simple to me, according to the Bible, it's clear that God desires to be involved in everything we do. And no matter where we are spiritually, we can rejoice in the grace of God that brought us to this place. But God wants us to continue to grow. And I want, to, I want to use that sort of a platform to think about our new year and think about what God would want us to do. And what should be the measure of that? Is it just to do what I did last year? Is it just to do a little bit better than I did last year? And I think our plans should reflect our passage here in Colossians 3, if you go back there with me. Our plans should reflect the fact that whatever we do should be done in His name. This should be our goal. This is a spiritually challenging goal. You know, when you think about this general thought, and I want to really dig down into the context here in a moment. When we think about this general thought, it challenges every one of us. For instance, when God says for us to bring every thought captive under the obedience of Christ, every thought. That's a challenging goal, and a person could say, hear that and just say, well, that's not possible. It's an ongoing process, but it's what God wants. He wants to be involved in all that we do, have an increasing influence in our life. Now, let's go back to Colossians chapter 3, and the, first, the point I want to begin with in, in really emphasizing how this fleshes out in our life is to say that it begins with our salvation, it doesn't end with our salvation, but it begins with our salvation. Notice in our text, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12, how Paul referred to his readers. He said, put on therefore, and notice this language, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. This challenge was not presented to people that were unsaved. It was not presented to those who were outside the grace of God. It's presented to those who are saved. He called them the elect of God. That means they're chosen. Now, people get really hung up on that phrase, the election or chosen. And you say, how to know that I'm, I'm one of the chosen? Everyone that puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God has chosen to receive them as his children. We are, we are chosen in Jesus Christ, not in ourselves, but in Christ. He also refers to them as holy. That means they're set apart. And he also says that they're beloved. We heard about that again in Sunday school this morning. They're loved. He, he writes to these brethren who are chosen in Christ, set apart for God's glory, and loved by him. They're saved. If you look in um, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1, just back up just a little bit from where our Bibles are at the present. It says, if, if you then be risen with Christ, that means if you're saved, if you've been Risen with Christ, seek those things which are beloved. As I've saved people, we live for a different world. We have heaven in our view. So we're, just, just, just to make sure everybody understands this morning, we're not saved because of all the good things we do. We're not saved because we 
because we deserve it. We're saved, we're born again because we acknowledge that we're sinners. We come to God with a repentant heart and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And the moment we do that, God accepts us in Jesus Christ. But when we get saved, everything changes. When, we, when I was saved, I mean, I was 21 years old when I was saved. My wife and I started attending church in, in the suburbs of Dallas. And God, by His grace, showed us our need to be saved. And we, could, we had nothing to offer Him. We had nothing to bring to Him but really messed up lives. But you know what? God loves us. God, God gave His Son to die for us. And so we receive Him by faith. And the moment we did, we belonged to God. He loved us. He's accepted us as His own. He set us apart for Himself. And from that moment till now, our lives are not our own. Our lives belong to Him. We belong to Him. And He wants to control and influence every part of our life. If you look there in chapter 3 of Colossians in verse 11, it says, Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, in Christ there's not Jew or Gentiles, not circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So he, we belong to him and he wants a part of every part of our life. So in the next few verses, we're going to just briefly look at three very practical, important parts of our lives and what the Bible has to say about it, keeping in mind that whatever we do, we're to do in His name. The first thing I want to categorize is our devotional and worship life. Look in verse 15. I read it again. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Now, there's a difference between the peace of God and having peace with God. Paul, in another place, wrote that we have peace with God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is the peace of God. It's God's peace in us. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you're called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of God of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Let God's peace rule in your heart. That's our devotional life. That's our worship life. You know, everything about our life as Christians revolves around, centers around our walk with Him and His Word working in our life and His peace in our life. He says twice in that passage, once in verse 15 and once at the end of verse 17, that we're to be thankful, be ye thankful, giving thanks to God. And you know, one of the things as we go through life is learning to be thankful and content with where we are in life, what God has done in our life. You know, if I want to have a good year, none of us know what the future is going to hold. None of us know if we're even going to be around next year. God may take all of us out of here, and wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? But if we're here... How can, I, how can I enjoy the journey? One thing is to learn to let God's peace rule in our heart and be thankful to God. Be content with where we are. I could almost promise us that if we're not content, if we're not grateful, we're not going to have a good year, a good attitude. And so this has to do with our worship and our devotional life. Look what he says in verse 16. Let the word of Christ 
dwell in you richly. You know, it's one thing to have a Bible. It's another thing to read the Bible, but it's another thing to have the Bible in us. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the, God's Word wants to live within us and dwell within us. And, and then he talks about our worship. Look in verse 16. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You know, one of the things that makes the worship service when we gather as a congregation and sing so meaningful, it's not just the style of music, the selection of the words necessarily, or whether it's an old or new song. What makes it important is we're worshiping the Lord. That we're giving God glory. That we're, and that's what this is, and, and, and by the way, we're learning truth. It says that we're teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. We're singing to the Lord. We're not just singing to one another, but we're singing to the Lord. You know, worship is such an important part of our spiritual journey. Not just on Sundays or Wednesday, but, but all throughout our life. And by the way, worship requires participation it's a verb it's, it requires action and it ought to be God-centered and it's an integral part of our relationship with God and you'll notice in verse 15 it refers to the body of Christ to the church to the which you're also called in one body and be thankful I mean these disciplines will greatly impact our spiritual life if it I think anyone here could answer this question without even being uh, prompted but if we want to make this a good year for us spiritually, knowing that we, there are so many things that are not in our control, but there are things that are in our control, and one of those things is our relationship with Christ, our love for the Lord, how we worship God, how we, how we let the Word of God work in our life. And Paul is writing this about, about how they can really impact practical areas of our life and this is a practical area of our life but it'll affect everything else so if I was making a suggestion for a new year's commitment or goal I would say let's make our relationship with Christ our first priority make our walk with God our time in the word of God we're going to love God supremely we're going to submit our lives to God we're going to love him with all of our heart we're going to live for him we're going to serve him because that's preeminent our devotion and worship of God. And then there's another thing then that moves on in verse 18 and following, and that has to do with our relationship with other people, particularly our family. He says in verse 18, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wife and be not bitter against them. He's talking about our family. Fathers, provoke not your children, obey your Parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing. Fathers, in verse 21, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. And here's another area that really ought to be a target for us in our, in our future, and that is our families. That husbands and wives relate in a biblical way. Wives being respectful and supportive of their husbands. Husbands loving their wife and not being bitter toward them. Fathers, not correcting your children in anger. You know, if we really want to do um, God's will in our life, 
this is an important area to focus on. And then he moves on to another area in verse in verses 22 and following, and that's our vocational lives. I want to read it again. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Now he's talking about here a relationship of a master to his servants. But it's, I don't think it's a does any disservice to that text to say we could apply that to our vocational life, on the job, the way, we, the way we live our lives as Christians. We're to obey those in authority over us. It says in verse um, 22 there, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Talking about fear, look, we're going to call it fearing God in the workplace. And what a great opportunity we have in our vocational life, to be good testimony to the glory of God. You think about uh, those of you men and women here who have, have a job in the secular world, in the, in the workplace. You know, on, a, on an average, eight hours a day is going to be spent amount, around other people, many of whom are not saved. And we could look at that like it's just a way for us to get money so we can pay our bills and pay the rent and have groceries. But really it's more than that. It's an opportunity to glorify God. And that's why it says in verse 23, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. We ought to do it from our heart. You know, when you do something heartily, you can have the right attitude about it. I think it's very interesting that at the end of this talking about our, the servant's relationship to their master, it says in verse 24, knowing that of the Lord... You shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. In other words, God promises to reward such service. And obviously for me, it's been many years since I worked in the secular world. It's been a privilege of mine to serve in this church and be full-time for decades. But I always found real meaning in working, whether it was driving a truck or working on a dock or whatever I was doing, as a believer that I could have a testimony and an impact on the lives of people that I worked around. And you say, why do you mention this? I mention it because God mentions it. He puts it right here in this passage along with families, around, along with our worship and our, and our devotional life. This is what God wants. So here are three areas of our life. We think about the new year and we think about how we're going to spend our life. Here are three areas that we, are, we can hone in on and focus on. One of them is our devotional life and our worship life, our walk with God, our relationship to the church. That's an important thing. Second is our family life. No matter where we are in the journey, every relationship could certainly use some fine-tuning to make it better. And then in our vocational life, the life that we live in the workplace. So that's what God would want us to do and we find it in our text, but then how can that be done? How could that be done? And I want to look further into this scripture and just give some, what I think is practical but important uh, guidelines as far as that goes. But keep in mind, God wants to be first in all areas of our life, not just in a part of it. I mean, we could be strong in our devotion to the family, but neglect our devotional life to God. That's not what God wants. 
You know, you could be a good employer, have a good testimony at work as a hard worker, but that should not cause you to neglect your family. God wants your family to get the attention that it deserves. You could be a devoted Christian and not be devoted to the church. But in the context of this, both of those are mentioned. And, and if we had put it into language that we would all understand, we need balance in our life. Not just focusing on one thing. You know, God, the more, if you ever had a tire out of balance, and the more that tire is out of balance, the more noticeable it is. And really, sometimes we can get out of balance. We're trying to love our wife. We're trying to minister to our kids. But we're not really walking with God the way we should. Or we're, we really want to have a good testimony at work. But we're, in doing so, we're not raising our children or giving them attention they need. And all of this takes attention. And each of those, what I would call God-ordained responsibilities, are important. So we ought, to, we ought to strive as we think about the new year. How can I give all these areas of my life the attention they deserve? How can I honor the Lord in my devotion and worship? How can I honor the Lord in my home? And how can I please the Lord at the workplace? And let's go back to verses 8 and 9. And let's, uh, let's just notice some of the things that Paul talks about in this, written, this letter to the Colossians. Look in verse 8 where he says, be it now, or but now, excuse me, but now you also put off, and I have those two words circled in my Bible, put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lie not one to another, seeing that you've put off the old man with his deeds. And then in verse 10 he says, and have put on the new man. So in essence, the only way this is possible is really to walk in the Spirit. We can't walk in the energy of the flesh and expect this to happen. That's why he says, when he says in verse 8 and 9, put off the old man, that's talking about that old carnal self. You cannot walk in the flesh, whoever we are, no matter how long you've been saved. If you're a man or a woman, a young person or an older person, you cannot, we cannot do all that God wants us to do in the way God wants us to do it in the energy of our own flesh. You just cannot do it. So you have to put off that old man. And that's a choice we have to make. This, this is, should be familiar territory for all of us. But when you get saved, when you get saved, it's because the Spirit of God births you into the family of God. And when He does that, He does that by putting His Spirit within you. And God dwells within us. And that we have a new creature. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. But I still have that fleshly me that I have to deal with, that carnal part of me. So we have to put that off. But put on, it says in verse 10, the new man. Notice what it says in verse 10. Put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. The new man is the nature you received at salvation. And you may have gotten saved real young and didn't really, couldn't really recognize or notice you know, the change in your life or attitude immediately. But those of us who are a little bit older when we get saved, we immediately recognize there's something in me that I've never had before. Something that wants to do right. Something that wants to please God. Something that wants to... Do, Something that's not satisfied with this sinful life. And that's the new 
person. He says you need to put on that new person. That doesn't mean you make yourself saved. It means you give place to that new man in your life that you receive at salvation. And that new man, according to verse 10, is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created. A new man is after the image of Christ. And then notice in verses 12 and 13 and 14 how he emphasizes this new man and his behavior. Look in verse 12. Put on as the elect of God bowels of mercies. From You know, the word bowels speaks of the that inner part of us, the innermost part of us. And he says, put on mercy from, the, from your heart. And not only bowels of mercy, kindness. Put on, show kindness. Show kindness at home. Show kindness at the workplace. You know, I hear, I hear frequently as people genuinely recognize how, how coarse and unkind, how mean and cruel people could be at the school, in the workplace, wherever it might be. But God tells us to show kindness. And then he says humility or humbleness of mind. We've got to put off pride and we've got to put, put that out of our life and walk in humility. And then meekness, is, which is the absence of anger, not quick-tempered. You know, I think most of us would recognize in this world of social media, people have a, this response time sometimes they see something on Facebook or something on some other platform and they they don't like it they immediately fire back a you know a retaliation or whatever but you know the Bible says that we're to put on meekness meekness is the absence of anger meekness is having our our strength under control and then long suffering that means patience suffering long with people and then look in verse 13 forbearing one another the way that I would define forbearing one another in a way that we could relate to, it's like putting up with our differences. Because a person doesn't think exactly like us doesn't mean that they're evil people. And yet we've been, in our society, especially over recent years, it seems like if you're not for me, then I have to be against you. But that's really not the way Christians are to live. So he says, forbearing one another. And look in verse 13, forgiving one another forgiving each other if any man have a quarrel against any that we're to forgive that if any man have a quarrel against that's everyone think about how how thorough this is if any person has any quarrel against anybody that ought to be forgiven that we ought to forgive and what good advice for us. We're, and how are we to forgive? Look at the last part there, verse 13. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. Now just think about that for a moment. If you're a Christian, when did God forgive you? And he forgave you when you trusted in Christ as your Savior. And how did he forgive you? He forgave you completely. He forgave you of everything you've ever done. He forgave you really of everything you'll ever do. The, he, didn't just, he didn't forgive you because you asked uh, for him to somehow you know, wash away. Every, no, he just you put your faith in him and you have forgiveness in him. 
Now, I know we confess our sins, as 1 John 1, 9 says, to experience that forgiveness, but you are a forgiven creature if you've trusted in Christ as your Savior. You're to forgive others just like He forgave you. Not You say, well, they don't deserve it. God didn't forgive you because you deserved it. God forgave you because that's the way He is. We're to forgive others the same way He forgives us. You know, one of the things we ought to endeavor to do as we think about going forward in our life spiritually is not to have, carry this baggage of offenses and what somebody did and what they said. You know, if, 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 forgiveness, if forgiveness has to be conditional, that they prove that they deserve to be forgiven, you'll always be living in some kind of a, in a bondage to what people have done to you. We ought to forgive people. It's not original with me, but it's true. If you, you know, carrying around bitterness and hard feelings toward anybody is like you drinking poison and hoping they'll be hurt by it. It's not the way it works. I'm talking, I think this is practical advice for how, whether it's on the job or in the church or in the family. We're to walk in the spirit. Put off the old man. Keep growing in the grace of God. Put off the old man. Put on the new man. And then he says this in verse 14. As though the things we've said are not enough. Putting off the old, putting on the new, forgiving everyone for every reason, every offense. But look what he says in verse 14. And above all these things, above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Now, we should know, or maybe you wouldn't know this, but the word charity there um, is talking about God's love. The word is agape in the Greek. It's, a, it's not human love. I can love people on a human level, but my love is discriminating. In other words, I can love, you know, people that treat me good, or I can love dogs if they don't bite me. I can't love cats no matter what they do. But, but that's human love. That's human love. But that's not charity. You know why he says put on charity? is because none of us have it naturally. This is the kind of love that God has. This is the kind of love that God has for me every day, every moment, every day. He loves me as much when I'm fail as he does when I do right it's just he loves me in my good days and my bad days he loves me this we're to put on charity you know if we're going to have the kind of relationships we ought to have with people he said put on charity which he refers to in verse 14 as the bond of perfectness now let's think about those two words perfectness and bond perfectness doesn't mean sinlessness Perfectness means completeness, fullness. Charity is the bond of fullness or completeness or perfectness. And the word bond means like you would think of something that binds things together, something that holds things together, it ties things together. So charity, God's love, is the bond of perfectness. God's love 
binds things together perfectly, completely. You know, my wife and I fell in love with each other when we were in our teens. She actually fell in love with me first. No, I'm just kidding. We fell in each other, love when our teens. But you know what? We found some things out over 50 years of marriage, and that is we don't always see things exactly alike. We don't always agree on everything. But you know what keeps it together is love. And God's love is much more powerful than our love. And it is the, it's, it's more than just enduring someone. You say, well, I love them, so I'll just put up with them. That's not really, God's love, if you read in you know, that great chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 about charity, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I'm become as tinkling cymbals and sounding brass. That great chapter about charity, it's not just enduring somebody, it's wanting the best for them. You know, if I pray for someone that's wronged me and I, and I just say their name, it's one thing. But it's another thing if I ask God to bless them. And that's what Jesus said, bless them that curse you. Do good to them that despitefully use you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. You know how we do that? Because we, love means that we want the best for them. Love means we want God to use them and bless them. That's why it says, above everything else, put on love. And in our homes, as, as Paul is about to cover, we've already gone through that in Colossians 3, in our homes, in the church, on the workplace, wherever it is, you know what holds everything together more than anything else? It's, it's charity, letting God's love work in us. Now, I would, I would summarize or categorize all these things about putting off the old, putting on the new, you know, forbearing one another, forgiving one another, putting on charity, all in one lump category. I'd call it walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. How are we going to do that? We're going to have to do it by putting off the old man and putting on the new man. Loving people the way God loves them. And whatever you do, he says, do it heartily as to the Lord. You know, every one of these arenas of relationships, whether it's in the church, whether it's in your home, with your family, friends, in the workplace, every one of those arenas are going to be enhanced by the fact that we're not just doing our best, but we're letting God live his life through us. And I don't want to minimize the fact that we may want to make some goals for the new year that has to do with our, our stewardship financially, maybe has to do with our physical health, may have to do with all those. But you know what? In every one of those things, he says, whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. We want to do it because it's God's will for us. And he says if you, in verse 13, there, uh, 23, excuse me, he says, do it hardly as to the Lord. Don't do it half-heartedly. Give your heart to it. Give it your best. 
I ask you this today. Two simple questions. First one, are you truly a child of God? Do you know you've been saved? I'm not asking if you joined the church or been baptized or if you're religious, but are you, can you look back at a time in your life when you say, I know at that time I personally received Christ as my Savior. I know I was born again. And if you cannot say that today, I have good news for you. That God loves you right where you are. And He cares for you. And He sent His Son to die for you to bring forgiveness to your life. And the only thing standing between you and eternal salvation is you receiving the gift. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And you could receive Him right where you sit. Or we're here to help you with that. I'll be standing here at the front in a moment. If you say, that's what I need. I need the Lord in my life. Just step out and come. I'll meet you here. And someone will talk with you and pray with you. Don't let this opportunity pass you without embracing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And then the second question is, and I want you to think about this. You don't have to answer out loud, but think about it. Answer it in your own mind. Am I... Am I a spirit-filled Christian? Do I make it my goal every day to not walk in the energy of my own flesh, but to walk in the Spirit, to let God love people through me? We can't, you know, if someone wrongs us, I think about when Jesus was hanging on the cross, because this so illustrates the love of God. When people crucifying him, nailing him to the cross, wanting his death. He cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the love of God. We need that love in our life. We need that kind of kindness in our life. So number one, are you a child of God? If not, why wouldn't you come to Christ? Number two, are you, are you walking in the Spirit as a part of your daily life? And if you'd say, you know, honestly, I can't say that that's the way I live my life. Then why don't you today say, Lord, I want to I put this to practice. I want to put off the old and put on the new. I want to walk in the Spirit. I want to let God have His way. I want you to fill me with your love. Fill me with your life. Love people through me. Forgive people through me. And you know what? God wants to do that. And when He does that, we don't get the credit for it because he's the one that's doing it. He gets the glory for it. Let's bow our heads together today with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Would you just take a few moments during this time of prayer to personalize the principles of this passage in your own life? And maybe you haven't even really thought too much about making any new commitments for the new year, but let's think about this. How could I make my family life better? How could I make my vocational life better? How could I improve my devotional life and my worship life? And you know what? God wants to have a part in every bit of that, whatsoever 
ye do. Our Father, as we pray today, I want to thank you for your word. and God, I thank you for the challenge, and it is a challenge. The challenge to have you impact, allow you to influence everything we do. Our conversations, our decisions, our priorities, our relationships. And Father, it's one thing to come into this room, into this environment where so many of us are on the same page. We love you, we love the Bible, we love one another. But Lord, most of our world and most of our time is not lived here. It's, it's lived in a world that's contrary in many ways to your word. But God, we want to be what you want us to be in this world. I pray that you'd search our hearts and challenge us today concerning our priorities, concerning our responses, and maybe even this matter of treating others the way you'd have us to treat them and loving others the way you would love them. God, would you work through us to that end?